Mentals. Bentals. Mento. Bento. Bent over. Well, hello, Michelle. Hello, Georgie. <laughs> so what's happening? Oh, everything and nothing. Oh. I'm, I'm back in the mountains. Great. Snowing like a bastard. Good. Well, it's winter here in the Northern Hemisphere, isn't it? I still haven't pulled out my winter coats. You'll see when what? you come to see me this weekend. You are a mad woman. It's not cold. It's freezing. Where you are. I was in Sweden. Weather report. It always comes down to the weather report. I was in Sweden. I took summer dresses. Why? And trainers. Because... Because you're a fashion chameleon, that's why. (laughs) I'm in like double down. I've got two down coats on. I've got my winter warm boots, mittens, mittens, gloves, denim, scarves, Olivia Newton-John headbands. Sweatbands, fingerless gloves, gloves with fingers, mm. doubled up. Speaking of those headbands, I've yes. always loved a John McEnroe style tennis headband. I love it. Oh, no. If I could just wear that <laughs> in my robe. And by the way, I will say we did have a comment oh. <laughs> on the robe. Thank you, Kiss Apocalypse. Yes, he's been very vocal. Welcome, Kiss Apocalypse. Listen, before you tell everyone about the robe comment... We just need to introduce ourselves. Oh. <laughs> yes, we do. Who are you? Hello, eavesdroppers. I'm Michelle. Hello, eavesdroppers. I'm Geordie. I'm the tall one. I'm the little short ass. And we are making this podcast just for you because do you know what, guys? It's almost like a bloody community out there. It's comments. It's writing in. It's voice notes coming flying in. It's comments about Michelle's robe amongst other things and it's patrons babes we love you patrons we love you because you're helping us to help you and back to the robe yes Michelle just wants to talk about herself (laughs) and her robe someone loves the robe apparently it's not sexy kiss apocalypse loves the robe yes I know he loves the robe what did he say I have to look directly at what he He said said he doesn't have a problem with a robe or something like that I don't know oh well, he says he's loving the dropping. Is he talking about the extra droppings that he gets as now a patron, a paid up member? Could be. He doesn't say. But what he does say is, I think the robe is good. I've never followed fashion. He said good, but not sexy. Just making that very salient point there. Have I ever said the robe is sexy? Have I? You have. Yes, oh, okay. Yeah. In the right circumstances. <laughs> God knows what those circumstances are. Very desperate ones. I do believe Any port in Kiss store. Apocalypse yes. also gave us a little idea for another eavesdropper. Oh, right. Yes, there's been a lot of people writing in about Yarnica. Yes, Yarnica, mm. who is a tip-top researcher, a listener from day one. She is a friend. Most people think we know all the listeners because they're all our friends. That's not true, actually. I'll have you know. But Yarnica is actually a very close friend, practically family, I will tell you. She's my children's godparent. She's an amazing woman. But for some reason, the male eavesdroppers have come back with some extremely inappropriate new nicknames for Yarnica. I did run them by her. She wasn't happy. So what did Kiss Apocalypse (laughs) suggest? He said, oh, let's see. 
pussy patter. Yes. That was a flat and quite a hard no, if I, if I may <laughs> say so. But wait till you hear what Ray has offered. We love Ray's comments and suggestions because Ray even has his own fucking jingle. He does, but I think he'll be stripped of that title soon because when Yannicka <laughs> hears this name, she's going to come for you, Ray. Menopause. <laughs> Menopause, just menopause or lube when I said no. And I I said no to that as well. Trust me, Yannicka, I'm trying to look after you. Didn't go down well. Luby Lou. She could be Luby Lou. Why lube? Why? I don't know. I'm just running on a theme. Listen, she's got something to say about this. Here's Yannicka to speak for herself. Hello, eavesdroppers. I am Yannicka from Amsterdam and I need a new nickname urgently because I'm outraged that I am called Yannicka in a tubble with two pussies when others have such a cute and lovely names like Neil the scientist, Jen the hen, Tamira the modern mystic and Hazel the psychic real estate agent and who I am? (laughs) Tubble with two pussies. No, this will not do. I need a new nickname. So please help me. There you go. This woman obviously is quite incredible. She has a beautiful Estonian lilt to her voice. Researcher extraordinaire, yet she feels reduced to nothing more than a pussy petter sitting in a bath or a tubble. And that's just not okay. With a pot of lube. Let's not forget that. Where's the lube coming from? I don't know. Some things about her to help you on your way. Nothing to do with pussies, nothing to do with lube. She is very stylishly attired always looks amazing she's very beautiful she's a lot of fun she loves to dance she'll just spontaneously start dancing usually with her husband and that's fun and she loves Rasheen Murphy well eavesdroppers you've got a task nothing to do with pussies nothing to do with lube (laughs) must try harder (laughs) honorable mentions to those two yes thank you to Kiss Apocalypse and to Ray for writing in but unfortunately no cigar on this occasion no cigar Talking of, did we talk about TV? Are we talking about TV? No, we can talk about TV. Can I talk about TV? Yes. Do you have a telly rec for me? Yes, I am watching telly right now and I'm watching it with the husband. It's an Australian one and it's called Mr. In Between. It is on Disney+. Plus. I didn't think I was going to like it at first, but every episode ends with a classic 80s Aussie hit. Like, what's that one from Australian crawl that goes, who, who do be born? Oh, and they did a Don't be so reckless That one as well wow. They did a few classics Damon Herriman Who's a fantastic Hollywood actor actually As well as an Australian actor He's in it Very small part But I do love him Because if you're watching Mr. In Between Which I'm going to say It's written and directed I think by the guy Who's the main character And Okay. He's in his 50s. He's a security guy for a King's Cross strip club, which Damon Herriman's character, Freddie, runs. And he also is a hitman. Okay. This sounds like Rosaline Norton's life. It seems more like an Australian version of a Tarantino film, but in series form. Mm. It's amazing. Loads of Home and Away actors, loads of Neighbours actors in it, mostly Home and Away because it's Sydney. And it's great. There is violence, but it's done in a way that's not too bad. Although there was a heartbreaking episode that I watched last night. What was going to say about Damon Herriman? Yes. Little shout out to our researcher, Ren. She knows him. Ooh. Do we should get him on the show? Ren, give him a ring, please. <laughs> give him a call. Pen him a letter. Whatever you need to do. But I think he might be our new Ben Mendelssohn. No. 
the scene will start. He's tail end of a conversation with somebody, like tailing off with a ridiculous comment, somewhat like the Jack, what was his name again? Jack Thompson ad. Anyone outside of Australia won't understand this reference, but we do have a jingle about the Clayton's moment. You know, when he's in the bar and he's telling the tail end of a joke that no one knows the rest of and everyone's laughing. (laughs) That is what Damon Herriman's character, Freddie, seems to do every time you see him. Right. He's doing something ridiculous or having a ridiculous conversation, just the tail end of it. Well, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think this guy could replace Mentals. Mentals? Mento. Bento. Bentover. I don't know. How <laughs> How could anyone replace Ben Mendelssohn? He's our patron saint. Well, he's been a bit quiet. He's not in any Aussie hitman shows. No, he's, out, he's on the streets of bloody Oxford Street in London, dribbling. In need of a tissue. In need of a tissue. Tell me, Michelle, have you watched any television? I have not watched any television on the television because I've been too fucking busy. <laughs> but... Something which I can't actually say it's a telly wreck, but it's on my list is, I think it's called The Curse. It's got Emma Stone in it. Oh, it's a film? No. Is that a film? It's not no? a film. It's it's TV series. And oh. apparently she's with some guy. They just have bought a house. I think they're doing some kind of reality TV show. And they go up to some kid and something happens where I think they say, oh, can you do... Look, I haven't watched it, so I'm not oh, articulating God. this well. This is useless. Basically, this little kid puts a curse on them and it's about how everything in their life fucks up from that moment and it sounds very good oh wow that Mm. does sound good i've got a lot of telly wrecks but i've just remembered speaking of our eavesdroppers writing in i've had about 15 eavesdroppers write in Mm. regarding the mushroom poisoning update because something's happened in australia it's a follow-up from our mushroom story of which i can't remember which number it was but it was this year season four season four and there's an update. So let me tell you what it is. I can't name all the eavesdroppers who's given me the heads up because there was lots of them, including, I think, Yarnika. I'm not sure. Let's have a look. What did it say? Yes. So obviously these alleged mushroom poisonings happened in July this year, 2023. We did a story about it. It happened in a place in Victoria called Leongatha. I still don't know how to pronounce it. I think very recently, Victorian police have now arrested her. Well, I think they had arrested her, but now they've charged her with murder for the deaths of Don Patterson, who's 70, and Gail Patterson, both 70, who are her ex-parents-in-law, and Gail's sister, Heather Wilkinson, 66. They were all at the dinner, but there was also Gail's husband, who's a reverend. He survived. Okay. But the police are also going after her for three attempted murders previously. What? Before this event. No. Of her husband. <gasps> She's got four. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's all I can say about that. Wow. That's quite something. Yeah. I mean, she's crying innocence and I'd love to know what the backstory is. I mean, that's all that anybody knows. There's a big coverage about it. Mm. I think there's a pub in Leongatha which had to take off their wild mushroom tagliatelle <laughs> dish. And nobody wants to eat the mushrooms. It just wasn't going down no, well. certainly not. It's funny, we were talking about mushrooms today, how I think you have to be pretty sure about what you're putting in your mouth when you go mushroom picking yeah. because, boom, dead. 
Apparently, uh, there was a family in Zurich, a little bit like the story you had told on our mushroom picking episode. They went to the forest here in Switzerland mm-hmm. and picked some families, cooked them up. Picked uh, some families? Picked some mushrooms, cooked them up, <laughs> ate some families. Choose a family, any family. And boom, Far whole out. family's dead. I've heard that story before. In fact, I've told that story before on this podcast. And you know what? I do think about it a lot myself, especially right now. Because my husband is foraging his little socks off right now. He's got a bag of mushrooms downstairs. And I did eat them for breakfast. I'm still standing. Parasols. They're kind of Mm -hmm. really big, tall ones. They do look like just a little parasol. They're a bit scabby on the top. But they're nice. It's interesting because when we were talking about mushrooms today, the chefs were saying, when you go to a restaurant, you really put a lot of trust into the people who are cooking the food, Mm -hmm. where they've sourced it Mm -hmm. from. Imagine if just a rogue mushroom got into a mushroom pasta or whatever you've ordered. That's it. Well, it's not just that. It's nuts as well. Like people have nut allergies that kill people. We were talking about it today at work because I've suddenly been elevated to entertainment officer. (laughs) And I've I've organised the Christmas work do, which is dinner somewhere. We have one person with severe nut allergies. So when we're looking at the menu, for example, it says N on it when there's a nut in it. But then they somehow, the mushroom terrine with chestnut didn't have an N next to it. Oh, but is chestnut considered a nut? Yes. Is it an allergen? Very much so. They couldn't have chosen anyone better to be the entertainment officer. So is that it? That's your story for today. What? No, I've got a story, but you're going first. Ah, okay. (gasps) Michelle. I know. I was you like, thought that was my story. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is the preamble, I'm not Michelle. With it today, I tell you. No, you're not. Well, thank you so much for that little update. Amazing. Now, Geordie, I did tell you that this week I was going to look at fog. Yeah. Yes, Mystic Fog. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of a movie. What's that remind Ooh, me of? The Killer Fog. fog. <laughs> Okay. Is that what it is? I think it's just called The Fog. The Fog. What about that one by the guy M. Night Shyamalan where there's wind that kills or makes people want to kill themselves? Oh. Have you seen that? I don't know. The that. Happening. No. It's called The Happening. Really? Yeah. That's a terrible name. one of the name. shitter ones. Well, sorry to burst your bubble. I didn't do Fog. <laughs> I was going to oh. do Fog. Well, no bubble bursts here. Don't worry about me. I I'll think do I'll be Fog fine. another time. Okay. Thing is, as you know, I was just in Sweden and I've been doing a lot of construction work, thinking about what colours to paint the walls of the house. Oh God, are we talking about your, are we talking about Pantone colours references now today? Well, do you know what? It got me thinking, what kind of colours do I want on my walls? And I thought, I don't know, but I do want a couple of pieces of statement colours. Well, I did want two pieces of Hilma Uff Clint's work in the house she's an artist she's a swedish artist yeah i mean you can't buy her work it would just be posters or reproductions i absolutely love her art and i thought about her story and how she was this incredible swedish artist who was unknown for more than a hundred years and she is now considered to be the first abstract artist in history oh and I find her work really, really moving. But also her life is fascinating to me because she says she basically channeled spirit to oh. create her art, which 
got me thinking. Is that like the goddess workshop that we did with our spiritual space clearer? Rebecca Rebecca Bourne. It is a little bit like that, actually. I was thinking too, it's a little bit Rosaline Norton, Witch of King's Cross, who sort of channeled or she was she was an artist and a witch and I have to say I do like Hilma off Clint's work a lot better than Rosaline. Sorry. <laughs> like her whole story is bizarre. But it did get me thinking, where do ideas come from? Okay. And if you start to look into this, there are so many ideas about where ideas come from. Yeah. And obviously I'm more excited by the idea of receiving ideas, i.e. when we have a flash of genius, it's not from our own mind, but that what? we've sort of tapped into something higher. Yeah. Because you think somebody gave you the idea. Yes. And look, I heard this interview with the filmmaker David Lynch, where he said ideas are like fish and that we don't make the fish, we catch the fish. So wanting an idea is like putting bait on a hook and then putting that hook in the water. But you don't always catch something. And he says you can get ideas by daydreaming or you can get ideas from places when you travel. Or you can walk down the street and see a reflection in a puddle in the gutter and bam, you get an idea. And he says ideas are like a man in another room. This is for him. Yeah. Who's got the whole film already put together. Right. But they're in puzzle parts. And this man is like flipping one piece of the puzzle to you at a time. First, it's abstract because you don't have many pieces. But then more pieces come and it starts forming a whole thing. And then one day there it is. So he says, in a way, there aren't any original ideas. There are just ideas that you've caught. But the thing is that you have to be true to the idea. And he says a lot of artists think that suffering is necessary. But in reality, he says any kind of suffering actually cramps the flow of creativity. Right. He says happiness in the doing of the idea is so important. It then makes ideas easier to catch. And he says there are trillions of ideas out there just waiting to be caught. I also read that the playwright Edward Albee said, and I quote, I don't sit around and suddenly decide, gee, now I've got to write a play about this or that. I will discover one day when I'm wandering about, theoretically minding my own business, that a play is forming in my head. And how do I know that? Well, there are some characters talking or a visual image occurs to me, which makes me realize that something is happening in my head. It's usually fleeting or I'll be at a recital listening to a pianist or a string quartet. Isn't he fancy? Isn't he? I know. He's dead now. Sorry. R.I.P. What did he write? Was it Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yes, he wrote Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yes. Well done. Thank you, Quiz Queen. (laughs) He says he's sitting there at a recital or whatever, and suddenly he'll hear people talking. He says, I will start hearing people talking or getting the sense of some other reality taking place. So if there are no original ideas and instead there are just gazillions of ideas out there just waiting to be caught, how do you do that? How do you catch those ideas? Are you going to tell me how? Well, I'm not going to tell you how. I'm just going to tell you what I found because I wanted to dip into how some people get their ideas and some people get their ideas in dreams. Yeah. Have you ever had that? Have you ever dreamt? Yeah. And then written it down because it seemed really important. Not written it down, but remembered. Yeah, remembered it. Anything 
brilliant. Yeah, things like songs. I've written songs from dreams mm. and what else? I've found keys after dreaming about where they are. Yes. Keys are quite common, actually. But interesting that you should say songs because that is exactly what happened to Ian McCulloch from Echo and the Bunnymen. I love Echo and the Bunnymen. You know, I was standing on the side of the stage when I went to that festival this May to see that band in particular. Saw loads of other bands. I didn't end up seeing the whole set because I had such a shit vantage point oh. it's because it was on at the same time as interpol and i had the front row for interpol and then i had to so run had to across run, and then you yeah. got a shit viewpoint for oh i'm sorry well look ian mcculloch says that it happened to him when he wrote the song killing moon oh yeah classic i will say that ian mcculloch does seem to think quite a lot of himself if you ask him what he thinks the greatest song of all time is it's he says song. it's the killing moon <laughs> this is a quote he says no one else has a song like The Killing Moon, not even Bowie. <laughs> and he says, it's more than just a song. It's about everything in life. That song was released in January 1984. Good year. I'm just dumbfounded by that comment that he made about it being the best song and nothing that even in Bowie's back catalogue. No, that's not true, Ian. I'm sorry. No, I'm not accepting that. I love Echo and the Bunny Men, mm. but you know they only had about three or four good albums. The Killing Moon is a great song, but if you compare it to, I mean, immediately I'm struck by thinking of Aladdin Sane. Yeah, I think that trumps The Killing Moon, and it's similar. Yes, I would have to agree. I don't think The Killing Moon is the greatest song ever written, <laughs> but Ian McCulloch thinks it is. And good on you, Ian. And he says the way that song came about was. He woke up one morning with the words to the song stuck in his head. And he says, oh. quote, it was in me and my ex-wife Lorraine's house. I never wake up that lively, but I just sat up and the words to the whole of the chorus were there. So I grabbed a guitar and started working out the rest. And he told The Guardian in an interview that he's always half credited the lyrics to God. To God. Oh, fuck off. I know. How did you know that he, have you heard that before? I just had a feeling. God, God, oh, he, he's giving 50% of his songwriting royalties to God for this. Because he needs the cash. <laughs> and he says he just sat bolt upright in his bed with those lines, and you probably can sing them. Fate up against your will. Through the thick, the thick and thin. She will wait until you, you give, give yourself, yourself to hell. hell. I don't even know what the words are. Yeah, that's it. I think I've got them right. You oh. did, you did. And he says, you don't dream things like that and remember them. And he says, it's a psalm, almost a hymnal. And he says, it's about everything from birth to death to but eternity to God. I don't really understand those words. No, it's also about the eternal battle between fate and human will. And he says, it contains the answer to the meaning of life. Where? Where does really, he say? Really, Ian? Where does he say? What is that? Yeah, I don't he doesn't go on to say i guess he's saying listen to the song it's the meaning of life mm. give me more royalties if you listen to the song i'll get another 10 quid aside from him being full of himself quite mad and full of himself i am fascinated that came to him yeah, in a dream okay 
And he managed to catch that as he woke up. But there's also another songwriter. Your mate Macca. My mate. Oh, yes. Paul McCartney, who I had dinner with recently. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was sitting in another part of the restaurant, but still we were together in the same space. Look, you had dinner in the same room as Paul McCartney. Yes. Kudos. On the train today, guess who I sat opposite? No idea. It's not going to be as exciting as Paul McCartney. Okay. I can't even remember his bloody name. (laughs) The disgraced minister who fucked up the COVID, the health minister, and then he was on Celebrity... I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Oh, that guy. What's his name? Matt Hancock. Matt Hancock. What a cock. He got on at Kensal Rise. He got off at Wilston. He went one stop. You fucking lazy bastard. Walk. (laughs) Get out of walk. (laughs) You can't do a thing right. No. Macca can because he says that he also receives lyrics and melodies. I have something to say. Oh, what? I also at work today heard the new Beatles song. Doesn't sound that great. I haven't heard it. I didn't know there was one. It's called Now and Then. And it doesn't sound like the Beatles. Carry on. All right. They've done it with all the dead people's voices and things. Oh, God. And they're going to do an ABBA and have them all holograms and shit, aren't they? Very very probably. Yeah, very probably. Watch this space. So, Naka says he wrote two songs from Dreams. The first one is Yesterday. Yes, I knew that. Yes. And he says he woke up one morning, 1965, had the whole tune for the song fully formed, but not the lyrics. I know the first line of it. Yes, sing it. Scrambled eggs. Yep. Oh, my girlfriend has got lovely legs. Exactly. You know this story. The story behind the tune that I find really fascinating is Let It Be. Oh, that's a good song. For our younger listeners uh, who might not know the song, <laughs> do you know the first lines to the song? Um, when, when I, I find, find myself, myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. That's it. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's absolutely beautiful song. It was autumn 1968 and things were not going well for the Beatles. You know, there were creative disputes and business squabbles, personality clashes. Paul was having a... Heroin. Yep. He was having a rough time. And to escape from it all, stayed up late, drinking, doing drugs, clubbing, party lifestyle. But he wasn't happy and he wasn't sleeping well. And it was during a particularly bad sleep that he had a dream. That obviously turned into like one of the most celebrated songs in the history of pop music. This is a quote from a book called Many Years From Now by Barry Miles, where Paul says, and I quote, I had a dream. I saw my mum who'd been dead 10 years or so. It was so great to see her because that's the wonderful thing about dreams. You're actually reunited with that person for a second. There they are. And you appear to be both physically together again. It was so wonderful for me, and she was very reassuring. Then Macca went on James Corden's Carpool Karaoke, and he said, again, his mum came to him in a dream and was reassuring him, saying, it's going to be okay, just let it be. Wow. And honestly, I didn't know this story, so I always thought that opening line was about the Virgin Mary coming to him. Mm -hmm. Turns out his mum's name is Mary, Mary. Mary McCartney. Who died of breast oh, cancer. That's why his daughter's called that. Yeah, oh. when he was 14. So that whole thing, when you know the story, it's like in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Literally, his Mother Mary in his dreams. Yeah. I just think it was beautiful. That's lovely. He caught that fucking amazing song and made a shit ton of money from dreams. 
It came to him yeah, in a dream. But I mean, I don't agree that these things haven't come from deep within his soul or, you know, his being. I don't, but I don't agree that some entity has popped it in there. God or whatever, like McCulloch says. Exactly. But then there's this woman called Ruth Stone. She's a, an American poet. And I remember hearing... Who? Ruth Stone. I remember hearing this story when I'd listened to this TED talk by Elizabeth Gilbert, who is the woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Eat, pray, love. Yeah. yeah. And I always remember this story. Ruth Stone is this award-winning American poet. I mean, her work's beautiful because it's really simple and the ideas behind the work are really complex, but she simplifies them into a way that it's just really moving. But what I'm really fascinated by with her is what she says about her talent. And she says, I've been writing poetry or whatever it is since I was five or six years old and I couldn't stop. I never could stop. I don't know why I did it. It was like a stream that went along beside me and my life went here and the stream was here and I got married and had three kids and did all the things you have to do and all along this stream was going along with me and I really didn't know what it was saying it just talked to me and I wrote it down so I can't even take much credit for it but the story I actually really remember was from this TED talk where she was talking about how she received her poems she grew up in rural Virginia and she would always be out working in the fields when she was a kid she said she would feel and hear a poem coming at her from over the fields. And she said it was like a thunderous train of air and it would come barreling wow. down at her over the landscape. And when she felt it coming, she would feel the earth shake under her feet. And when this happened, wow. yeah, she knew she had to just fucking run to where she could get a pen and a piece of paper. Oh. And she said she would be chased by this poem. It would be literally chasing her. So she had mm. to find a piece of paper fast. And when the poem thundered through her, she had to grab it and put it down on paper. And sometimes she wouldn't be fast enough. And she missed it. Mm -hmm. She would be running and running and she wouldn't get to the house in time. And the poem would whip right through her and she would miss it. Oh, my God. And she said, interestingly, it would continue on across the landscape looking for another poet to Finding land on. someone else. Yeah. <laughs> and then she said there were other times when she'd almost missed the poem, but not quite, where she'd be running to a house and scrambling for paper and, and the poem would be passing through her. But she would manage to grab a pencil just as the poem was going through her. And so she had the pencil in one hand. With the other hand, she'd reach up and catch the poem by its tail and pull it backwards into her body. How bizarre. As she was transcribing all of this on the page, and she said when that happened, the poem would be written perfectly backwards from the last word to the first. How funny. I know. I just think it's her process though, Michelle. I don't think that that is... I think it's an unusual process and I don't believe that Sylvia Plath is, is standing, you know, down two miles downhill from her just waiting for her poem that she didn't, this woman, Ruth, didn't catch. So Sylvia's here going, come on. But she has a different style and they all have different styles. I don't believe that that poem is just going to go and enter into another poet. I think it's just her process and she's very visual and that's what makes her a great poet. Maybe, but... If I circle back to Hilma Arf Clint, who kind of put me on this path, initially looking at kind of mystic inspiration. For some context, she was born in 1862 and she died in 1944. 
she was a Swedish artist from a super aristocratic family in Stockholm. She uh, was the daughter of a naval officer. She grew up in a really fancy military castle in Stockholm. She was given a full education, which at that time was not common for women. She went to the Swedish Royal Academy of Fine Arts when she was 20 and she graduated with honours, which is all amazing. Mm -hmm. But what makes her really curious, aside from the fact her work is beautiful, is that she was also a spiritualist and a mystic. She did portraits and landscapes in her early days. But what was truly astonishing is that she wrote in her diaries and in her notebooks that she believed her abstract works were painted under the direction of higher spirits. And this is a quote from one of her notebooks. She said, the pictures were painted directly through me without any preliminary drawings and with great force. I had no idea what the paintings were supposed to depict. Nevertheless, I worked swiftly and surely without changing a single brush stroke. Oh. When you see her work, it's extraordinary that she drew them without any pre-drawings at all. And for me, I think it's kind of almost like this stream of consciousness things because yeah. They are so technical and so detailed and so ahead of their time. She has these pictures. They're called the largest 10 because she was into seances and she was contacting spirits. And that's how this spirit came to her. And this one spirit told her to create this whole series of paintings. The spirit was called Amaliel. Okay. And this reminds me a little bit, actually, of Abraham. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because it was a lot of entities that contacted her and they commissioned, in air quotes, commissioned her to make paintings for a temple that would show the meaning of why we as humans are here and that the works that she was going to do would represent everything in the world. Right. For this series of paintings for the temple, she created 193 artworks. And she did them all between 1906 and 1915. But what she's most known for are the pictures called the 10 largest, which represent childhood through to old age. And they're astonishing. She painted all 10 of these pictures in 43 days. And these works are huge. They're like two meters high by a meter and a half wide or something. Yeah. Back in those days, she had to make all the paint herself from like pigment and egg yolks. Wow. Basically, each painting took four days she just said the spirit was guiding her it's it was like she wasn't even painting them and I'm going to put a link because I would love people to see her work I'd like to see it but the thing is no one while she was alive ever saw them and in fact it's only in 2018 when the Guggenheim did an exhibition of her work in New York it was the first time anyone had ever seen her and art history is now having to be rewritten because not only was she a woman doing these Mm. extraordinary artworks she also was the first before Kandinsky before Mondrian before any of them and in fact there was all this mystical stuff and Rudolf Steiner was involved and maybe he actually gave Kandinsky images of her work and maybe he ripped her off and Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff it's a super fascinating story oh actually in 2016 I got my updates wrong there was a show at Serpentine Gallery in London which then went to the Guggenheim and in fact when she showed at the Guggenheim it broke all attendance records for any exhibition ever she also had this group of five women they would do meditation and contact spirits and automatic writing automatic drawing and I could go on and on sounds like a goddess meeting I just find it fascinating that she doesn't even credit herself. It's like the spirits did this. 
a little bit like even Ian McCulloch, God came to him. Interesting. I'm not sure. I mean, I do think it's a process. I think that they're selling themselves a little bit short. That's just my opinion. I actually think individuals are responsible for this. It's just the way our brains are wired. That's my opinion anyway. Well, the thing is, I would love to receive a multi million billion idea i want to catch that idea so i need to put myself into the right frame of mind keep your ears to the ground michelle here it comes thundering over the hill doris cloris maureen doreen leslie wesley tracy and stacy daniel When you were talking about that, I was thinking about ideas for TV shows. And I know we just talked Mm -hmm. about, you know, that guy obviously saw a lot of Tarantino films, the one that did Mr. In Between. But then I've also been watching Uncanny as well. You know, the Danny Robbins, Supernatural, Ghosty Woasty, yeah, TV version of the radio show that that we always listen to. He was on recently talking to his usual trusty duo, the skeptic and the supernatural expert, Kieran O'Keefe and Evelyn Hollow. And they were talking because of a ghost story that they were investigating. They were talking about time slips, in particular, one that we spoke about in our previous time slip episode. Stone tape. No, Bold Street, Liverpool where the policeman, Frank, was waiting for his wife outside a bookstore in the 90s and everything Mm -hmm. suddenly switched to being in the 40s. Suddenly the bookstore turned into a women's clothing shop and he was inside and then he looked up and he saw this woman in her 20s who also seemed to be shocked and out of place and then they walked outside together and then it all went back to normal and he said to her, did you see that? And she was like, yes, but then she ran away. So they were talking about that and then Kieran O'Keefe said, yes, but of course... That could just be urban legend. And I was thinking, oh, damn. (laughs) But then Danny said, well, we found the lady. (gasps) And she was on. And she said, I remember it, Danny. I remember it so well. I've got goosebumps. Yeah, she said, um, she's now a woman in her 50s. She said, the experience was so real and she'll never, ever forget it. She also told Danny that she was so frightened at the time that she thought she might get lost in this time slip never to return i understand that i'm with her can you imagine i can imagine because i've been writing all about this for the last week so i've been in there thinking (laughs) about it i revisited time slips we have done it before episode 25 last year's season in 2022 season three and i looked at our episode and i looked at the links michelle but that was after i had already looked at another article from the daily mail and this was an article that you linked actually. It was an article by journalist Flick Everett, whose name I found familiar. And I thought, oh, she must have been writing for all the magazines when I was a young woman and a young woman back in the day of the young woman. And I thought, I know that name somehow. I just thought she's very familiar. I thought maybe you had worked with her or something in the mags. And she was talking about her partner, Andy. She said in this article in the Daily Mail, she said, my partner, Andy, is the most logical man you'll ever meet. But something strange happened to him more than 40 years ago that he struggles to explain. At this point for me, Michelle, a little bell was ringing a little bit harder. And then suddenly I was like, hang on, isn't my friend Andy married to Flick Everett? And it turns out 
is. So she's talking about my friend Andy. So I thought, well, fuck that. I'm going to pick up the phone and talk to him. It's been ages, but I gave him a, a ring and we had a fantastic conversation. He's not into Supernatural at all, as Flick will go on to describe. But he told me his story, which Flick had beautifully written in the Daily Mail article. And some other things as well. Unfortunately, I lost the transcript. Oh, yeah. But from memory, Andy, thank you so much. And Flick, thank you for allowing us to retell this story, which is about Andy and the time slips. I'm so excited. I also wanted to say that he now has a beautiful B&B in Argyle, which is where he lives. And I've been to Andy's up in Scotland a couple of times. It's remote and it's bloody stunning. Lock Awe. And there's a medieval wow. ruined castle. You have to get there by boat. I've had some great times. I actually saw in the new year 2000 there with a bunch of rock and roll friends. You've told me about that place. Good old Andy. Anyway, if you want to book the B&B, it's called Sobracken. I'll spell that S-O-B-R-A-C-H-A-N and it looks bloody gorgeous. I'll put a link. I'll link this shit out of that. Link it up. Here's Andy's story. In 1977, when I was five and my sister was seven, we were staying with my great aunt in an old Norfolk house. It dated back to the 1600s. That's Flick's article. Now I'm going to pick it up where he told me that he'd driven for hours, God knows where from, probably Scotland. His parents were absolutely exhausted when they got there and the kids were told, everyone's going to bed. In the morning when you get up, there'll be a housekeeper there. They'll give you breakfast. Don't wake us up because we'll be exhausted. So they woke up as normal, maybe a little bit earlier than was expected. They went down in this house is ancient, 1600s it dated from. They go down to the living room. They go through this kind of ante room before the kitchen. And as they walk in, there's a roaring fire and an old lady sitting at a spinning wheel. So they look at her for a minute. She looks up yeah, and she smiles, not at them. Oh, He remembers, he was five, yeah. but he remembers this. She looked up and it was like she was smiling wistfully just beyond them or something, okay. not at them. So they were like, okay, nothing's happening. So they walked past into the next room. They opened the door. They're in this 70s style kitchen with full mica everywhere. Very, you know, modern for the day. But the stove was off. That housekeeper that they thought was the lady sitting at the spinning wheel, because they don't know what housekeepers do. She didn't come through to make their breakfast. They're like, well, this is a bit We're dull. hungry. <laughs> Where's my <laughs> breakfast? <laughs> so he turned around and they went back into that little room. But that lady wasn't there and the fireplace was cold. So what? these freaked out little tykes then ran upstairs to their parents' room and told them what they'd seen. But the parents said, oh, look, you're just excited. Go back to bed. You've woken up too early. Yeah. But it wasn't the housekeeper. She hadn't arrived <gasps> and no one took him, Andy and his sister, seriously. So Flick goes on in her article to say that Andy's not one to believe in the supernatural. In fact, I will say that Andy and I then had a very scientific conversation based on the stone tape theories. He doesn't hold much truck with things like water or stone holding things like that. Yeah. But I think he does believe in string theory. And unfortunately, all his thoughts are now lost. So we'll have to get him back to talk about it. But... Time slip is what we're going to call it. Okay. Because that's what it is. A lot of people believe in them. And in Flick's article, she goes on to say, a time slip is a paranormal occurrence where it's suddenly possible to see the same spot, but many years ago. And she goes on to talk about other time slip experiences, such as Caroline Anders, who moved to Devon in the 80s for work. It was a weekend. Her and her colleague from work were driving into 
Plymouth for a party and her colleague is driving. They approach a roundabout that takes them into the city and she remembers seeing a beautiful church with colourful stained glass windows and as they passed the front door she could see a huge congregation of people inside. No one else in the car saw this but Caroline remembers it really well and a few weeks later Caroline and her boyfriend were on a drive in the same direction. They went past it. She basically cried out. The church was in ruins. And she said to him, oh, my God, what's happened? Did you know it had been damaged, this church? And her boyfriend said that the church called Charles Church was always like that, except when it was bombed in World War Two, And it was left like that as a memorial. Oh. So she saw it probably in its heyday. It was she weird. did. I've got chill bumps from this because <laughs> I, I definitely believe whether or not it's a time slip or, or whatever it is, these people saw something. They know what they yeah. saw. I'm going to take you now to Stour Bridge, which is in the West Midlands. And I went canal boating there with my parents. So I, I know a little bit about that area. Matt Davies, he said, I was cycling down a canal. Mm-hmm. Oh, I told you there was canals there. It was about 9.30 in the morning and I saw a young guy sitting on a lock gate. You know, those locks are the things that you can fill with water, then you drain them. And that's how you kind of go up and down on your canal boats. So this guy sitting on a lock gate in what looked like Victorian working class clothes. This is during pandemic times, let me just say. It was in 2021, the article, and it was from 2020. So this guy was sitting about in Victorian clothes, staring into the water, smoking a pipe, and didn't look up as Matt Davies cycled (laughs) past. And Matt thought to himself, was he a LARPer? You know, those people who are live action role play. Yes, yes. Yeah. So he thought, well, let's just have a little look at the area. So when he got back, because it really bothered him, he looked up his cycling data and coordinated it with his Google Earth coordinates, revealed the exact spot where Matt saw the guy. There was canal cottages opposite, and they were the scene of an unsolved murder in the early 20th century. Matt said it could just be a fellow who does historical recreations, but he looked a bit young for it. And there was nowhere open then in lockdown. You know, it's always a good time to do LARPing, I'd say. But he might be right. <laughs> I mean, he could be living like that. Some people like to wear Victorian garb. They do. I went out with a guy who loved a pair of knickerbockers, <laughs> but that's another story. <laughs> so it's been speculated by paranormal researchers that this phenomenon tends to occur in ancient parts of the country, such as Devon, Cornwall and Kent. And... Luxor in Egypt is also the spot that we're going to go to next. This is in 2011. Rianne Kavitis, she visited the Temple of Karnak. There was a lot of unrest at the time. So the temples and the tourist traps, they all went largely unvisited. Rianne wanted to see the goddess statue. But when she got there, she had a bit of a funny turn, Michelle. She says, somehow the statue looks shiny and new. And I heard noise like a crowd shouting outside. I recall my partner speaking to me, but his voice was muffled. Later, Rianne visited Compton Castle in Devon. She gets around. This is where she saw a night in full armour walked past her and she said it was as clear and as real as everyday life. It's a bit like having a poem running at you. It is. Or a vision, maybe. Possibly, yeah. I don't know if I ever told you about the time 
this was when I first came to visit you, actually. I went to Italy and I went into a church. There was a, a statue of a Mother Mary and she had her arms crossed over her chest yeah. like this. And then she went like this. <gasps> she opened her arms. That reminds me of that Doctor Who episode where the angels, you can't turn your back or blink and they move. That's frightening. The thing is that I turned to my, my friend and I said, did you see that? That was kind of cool. She was like, what? And I said, the way they've got the statue to like open their arms. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and this statue was just a statue made out of marble or God knows what. It was like ancient. That's bizarre. I could not believe it. To this day, I have no explanation for that. You've never told me that. I don't know why, because it freaks me out. <laughs> Scary stuff. Alice Pollock, a bit like you, she went along to Leeds Castle, which confusingly is not in Leeds, it's in Kent. Uh. And she went there to touch all the objects that used to belong to Henry VIII, just to see if she could get some sense of the history. When suddenly, a bit like your statue, the room's atmosphere changed and she saw a tall woman in white pacing the floor. She later discovered that Queen Joan of Navarre had been accused of witchcraft and imprisoned there in the 15th century. Oh. There's a guy called Rodney Davis. He wrote a book called Time Slips, Journey into the Past and Future. And despite all his research, he still can't explain the phenomena. Mm. Much like string theory, which Andy did talk to me about. He tried to explain it to me very hard. Bless his heart. I know we've talked about it on this podcast before. It's basically like the past, the present and the future all in one time is not linear and our limited consciousness can only experience time by being in what we know as the present if that makes sense it's the only way we can make sense of it that sounds very much like the akashic records do you remember we've talked about that which is yes. the past the present the future all, in, all, at, all at once so let me go back to time slips because I don't really know what else to say about the Akashic Records. I didn't look into that. But time slips appear to be a glimpse of a scene, whereas Davies has gathered other stories of people who have spoken to people in the past, who interacted. And that's why they were talking about it on Uncanny, because a ghost that had haunted loads of different people who'd lived in the same house looked like he was shocked when he saw the person that he was haunting. The ghost was like, right. what the fuck? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. He looked astonished and scared when he saw a little girl. Right. Who was being haunted, essentially. Davies has found loads of other stories of people. They'd been in shops. They'd bought things. They'd stayed for a while, much like that lady from Bold Street who was freaked out that she might end up staying there. And Davies, who wrote that book, Time Slips, he said, it is possible some people have slipped in the past and ended up stuck. He said thousands of people go missing every year. What's to say they haven't just ended up? In the olden days. Or the future. He's got a point. I mean, I would like to think that they are in ye olde times rather than at the bottom of a fucking barrel in the bottom of the ocean. Right. Okay. That went dark. So Flick had said, if that's the case, why haven't people found like mobiles in the 60s or whatnot? And he said that some of his subjects in the book have said that strange machinery was found by 18th century labourers and jewellery has been discovered in seams of coal, jewellery that doesn't seem of its time. Yes. Here's a time slip story that was told anonymously to a now defunct website and it was reposted on Richard Holland's uncannyuk.wordpress.com. The poster had written, 
I just wanted to report my time slip experience, which was experienced by myself, my father and my sister. It happened in the late 1990s in Kings Lynn, Norfolk. My dad's sister and I were in the town to send my sister off on the train and we were passing the time standing by a fence near the railway station from which one could see a road and roundabout ahead. A lot of roads, a lot of 90s. I don't know, I'm just making connections here. <laughs> it was about noon and we had no agenda at that time other than to wait before heading to the station. There was a lull in the conversation. We were all casually looking straight ahead when suddenly the atmosphere changed. The sound of the traffic around us stopped abruptly as if someone had literally turned the volume right down. The air seemed to change too. It became very still, spookily still, and no sound could be heard. None of us spoke. Then there came the sound of horses' hooves on the road, and within a few seconds we saw a horse and cart driven by a large, angry-looking man dressed in what I estimate to be 18th-century clothes. He was of very rough, dirty appearance, and his cart was well used. He drove the cart around us in a circle, all the time staring around, sometimes directly at us, sometimes away, but looking absolutely furious this is the bit that freaks me out as though he was looking for someone he wanted to kill oh. i'm wondering was he just not fucking freaked out thinking i'm stuck in a time loop where am i or who are these people that have just suddenly arrived in strange looking clothes yes eventually he turned the horse and cart around and drove it off down the same road from which he had appeared and we could hear the horse's hooves disappearing into the distance. Immediately the sound had gone, the atmosphere changed back again and the sound of modern traffic and the din of a modern town returned again. We all three looked at each other, shaken and almost disbelieving. But once we had asked the inevitable, did you see that? And received the answer, yes, we were even more shaken. Yeah. It was such a peculiar experience. And one which I shall never forget. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. But I want to know, what did the woman who was in the time slip clothes store who ran yeah, away? Yeah, with Danny. Yeah, yeah. What did she have to say about it all? She said it was very fucking real. She didn't say fucking. <laughs> she said it was really real. And she was shitting herself. That's why she ran away. Because she thought she was going to get stuck there. She wanted to get home. So she didn't say anything more about how she felt. The atmosphere went quiet. Cause yeah, she said all that. Look, I believe something did happen to these people. And especially if three of them are experiencing the same thing. Something yeah. is going on. It's not like they just drank the weird Kool-Aid. Like something Some is people happening. would say it's a folie adieu. I think maybe Andy had posited that. What? Folie adieu. It's like madness of two oh. or, you know, folie a trois mm. in that particular incident. That's something where kind of hysteria, almost like hysteria, it's catching. Yes. I think Andy did talk to me about that. Or there's also the multiverse theory, which says that there's an infinite number of worlds existing along different paths Mm. in time, which arise out of each passing moment, suggesting that different things happen in in each universe. Now, that reminded me of another TV thing, which I haven't started watching yet, but it's on Netflix. It's called Bodies and it's starring Stephen Graham. Poor old Stephen Graham, who's always crying. I've had a recommendation mm-hmm. to watch that, but I haven't. It's had rave reviews. So it's adapted from a 2015 graphic novel by Cy Spencer. It's about four detectives in four different London eras who find themselves investigating the same murder, uncovering a conspiracy that spans 150 years, starting in 
1890, all in London, like Jack the Ripper's on the loose. And then they find the same body in the 1940s Blitz era, then again in 2014. And finally in 2050 in London, where it says in the TV guide, there's a mind scrambling pulse wave plaguing the last survivors of a terrifying techno apocalypse. (laughs) And a young woman known as Maplewood who has amnesia discovers the body. And there's a link between them all, which it turns out to be very, very strange indeed. How intriguing. We'll have to watch. But do you know what this reminds so, me of? The Kate Bush song with Elton John, where they've been in love okay. forever. And up to the top of the hill, <laughs> we saw Robert. That's in. the one. Snowden at Wheeler Street. I don't want to lose you. That's that one. the one. I love that. I played that at my wedding. It's so beautiful. It's about these two lovers who keep finding each other in different lives over different centuries. Elton John's a little bit. I don't want to lose you. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. But it's yes. a gorgeous song and I'll link that up if I can as well. I'll link it all up. Link it all up. Now, I'm really sad that I lost my notes, Andy. So do write in. He had some fascinating theories on AI oh. and the possibility of how it may usher in a new dark age where humans rise up and smash all the computers I in the world. So. because They're fed up of them taking our jobs. So perhaps we can do an interview for our, I don't know, extra droppings or something. So sorry about that, but that is my time slip update. I loved it. That was entertaining. (laughs) Thank you so much. That and the mushrooms. Mushrooms wasn't my story, Michelle. It was an update. (laughs) It was an update. I said it was an update. Mushroom update. Time slips. I think there's something in it. I think it's like time travel, but a different way of doing it. I find it fascinating Mm. and I want to know more. But what I don't want is to experience one myself. See, I'd love to. I think that would be amazing. I'd be frightened. You know, I'm, I'm a scaredy cat. But you've already experienced something like that with the golden statue with the arms spread. Mother Mary, she came to me. She God. spread her arms. But I don't know what wow. it was. And I was really freaked out that my friend yeah, I bet you were. thought that I was mad. You know what you saw, Michelle. Saw. And on that lovely note, I'm just going to say to you one thing that I know for sure. What I saw. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wherever you are, wherever you do, just, just keep, keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.